This is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, Caitlin Deal and James Lee. Hey, Uncovered Dish Podcast listeners, James here. You might be wondering, hey, where's the video? And uh, I'm here to tell you that, you know, we're trying something new again. You know, for the last season, we've been playing around with video podcasting, uh, doing video and audio at the same time. And it's been pretty cool. It's been a lot of fun. But one thing we realize is as we keep trying to up the ante, trying to improve on our product, the video was actually limiting us from expanding the possibilities of podcast. You know, we wanted to take podcasting even to the next level to make it more than just a roundtable conversation, but to explore what kind of narratives can we tell through podcasting. And we realized that if we cut back on video and go back to just being audio, the possibilities just open up. Now we want to hear from you, you know, uh, after you listen to this podcast, hey, I want the video back. Or, hey, you know, this new audio thing that you're trying out, it's really working. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at gnjumc.org to let us know your thoughts. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week's episode kicks off a new series, which we're calling the What Is Series. The United Methodist Church has many aspects that make it distinct as a denomination, aspects that if you've worshipped in the United Methodist Church for any length of time, you've probably experienced. But some of these fundamentally United Methodist things are confusing or make you go, uh, what is that? Or why do we do that? So this series sets out to explain a few of those things. Now, the first two episodes, episodes 24 and 25, are two parts about the same topic because we think this topic deserves some extra attention. The first part is going to be more narrative and structure. The second part will be the familiar interview style, but it will be a roundtable featuring the same guests from part one. We hope you enjoy these two episodes and this series as a whole. Now for part one of The Church Abridged, What Are Deacons? Hey, so we have a lot of United Methodists here uh, for Super Church conferences, and we figured this would be a great place to ask the question, uh, ask, see what people know about deacons. What is the difference between an elder and a deacon? I don't know. It does have to do with the amount of schooling they go through. Deacons don't go to seminary. Um, I think maybe they do. I know an, el- an elder goes through the full process of ordination. Um, I'm not sure what um, qualifies as a deacon. Um, I feel like that elder is kind of that, that top step that uh, a deacon uh, would be thriving to get to. I don't know if it's a level of schooling that they have to do, that deacons don't have to do as much schooling as elders. Uh, I believe a deacon goes out into the mission field. Well, elders serve churches full time. I don't really know what deacons do. Okay, to be honest, I'm not completely sure. That wasn't exactly a fruitful enterprise. Luckily, we have some experts on hand. For a more textbook answer, Dr. Daryl Stevens, ordained deacon and director of the United Methodist Studies at Lancaster Seminary. Elders are called to order the life of the church. The deacon is a person who's called to connect the church and the world. Elders and deacons are both ordained in the United Methodist Church, currently elders are ordained to word, service, sacrament, and order. Deacons 
are ordained to word, service, compassion, and justice. That does not mean that deacons do not have any sacramental role. And that also does not mean that elders are not ordained to some form of justice. It's just a matter of emphasis and identity more than um, domain. Okay, great. So what does compassion and justice mean for the order of deacon? Um, So compassion and justice are are central to what it means to be Christian in the world. Uh, That is, how do we love our neighbor? How do we minister to and with the least of these? In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus reminds us, he talks to his disciples and said, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Says, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are my members of my family, you did it to me. And that's really what it means to, to be a deacon. So, two ordained orders, one of which is deacon, the other, elder. But the United Methodist Church wasn't always structured this way. The order of ordained deacon didn't exist until 1996. Before then, Deacons were just provisional or, quote, junior elders. Currently, with the permanent diaconate, it's a much different understanding of what a deacon is. Um, However, we still have within our denomination some popular misconceptions of the deacon as a junior elder. The clergy are in some way um, defined as less than. And another popular misconception? that there's somehow a difference in schooling or process. The reality is, the process to be ordained a deacon is just as rigorous as the process to be ordained an elder. And the educational requirements are the same. You need a master's in theological studies. And I think in 2012, the addition of compassion and justice to the description of the ordination of deacon was a way to say they're not a junior elder, but they are something distinct in and of their own right. So deacons are, by definition, distinct in their own right, in terms of their ministry. And this distinctness can often be discerned in those who think that perhaps focused local church ministry isn't for them. But it can also be a source for tension in the discernment process. Here's Kathleen Stoltz on her path to ministry. I'm the Reverend Kathleen Stoltz, deacon at Medford United Methodist Church. I was ordained in 1997 in the Northern New Jersey Conference, first class of deacons. I knew I was being called to something other than elder when I was in seminary in the late 80s. At that point, there was no such thing as an ordained deacon, so I was consecrated as a diaconal minister in 1990. Um, I was pressured when I decided to become a diaconal minister, heavily pressured, that I should be an elder. Um, Especially clergy women said to me, you've got all the gifts and graces, we need more clergy women just like you, and why are you not going to be an elder? And then when the opportunity came to become a deacon and to be ordained a deacon, it just seemed like a natural segue, and we were given that option. So I took it. There was one person on my original board of um, district board of ministry. She had moved down to Nashville in a different position, and she came up to me at ordination or just before ordination, and she said, 
You and God and I knew you were called to something different back in the late 80s. And we were just ahead of the church, that's all. So we had to wait for the church to catch up. Now with his story, Tom Lank. My name's Tom Lank. I'm an ordained deacon in the Greater New Jersey Annual Conference. I am currently serving as the Northeastern Jurisdiction Coordinator for United Methodist Volunteers and Mission. So Tom, when did you figure out that you wanted to be a deacon? I would say it happened gradually, but it really um, was about 2004 when I first discerned a call to ministry in the first place and started talking about it with um, one of the pastors in my church um, who also turned out to be a mentor for me. She was a deacon and she was my candidacy mentor. And as we were going through, you know, the standard books like The Christian as Minister, uh, the ministry inquiry process, and I was learning about all the different forms of ministry in the United Methodist Church, I gained a new understanding and appreciation for the ministry of the deacon, and I really, it really resonated with me um, at sort of the core of my identity and how I understood my call. And so I would say somewhere in the range of 2004, 2005 is when I really understood that I was a deacon by identity. What was it about the order of deacons that stood out to you that you identified with? I think um, when I first felt the call to ministry, one of the struggles that I had was I didn't feel like what I was being called to do in ministry looked like traditional parish ministry. I felt like uh, the way that God had prepared me for this moment throughout my life was one of being called out into the community. And I knew myself well enough to know that if I were to be an ordained elder, I would be consumed by the details and minutia of running the local church. And I would be stuck inside the four walls much more often than I wanted to be. Um, and that the order of deacon really was designed to give um, ordained persons the freedom to be out and connecting the community, the church, and the world. Um, and that's, that's when I knew that deacon was right for me. That's the, the understanding, that br- understanding of the deacon as a bridge between the church and the world that really um, went to the core of how I understood my ministry. So, Dr. Stevens, we're talking about ordained deacons, but there are also terminologies like deaconesses and diaconal ministers. Uh, Could you just clarify for us the difference between an ordained deacon, a deaconess, and a diaconal minister? Yes. Um, First of all, the diaconal minister was a lay position that was prior to 1996. In 1996, with the establishment of the permanent order of deacons, the diaconal ministers were invited either to um, remain lay or to enter into an ordination process to become ordained deacons. So the diaconal minister is a grandfathered title. People can no longer become a diaconal minister. Now, the office of deaconess and home missioner is one that is currently under the auspices of United Methodist Women. The uh, deaconess program has been active since mid to late 1800s. Deaconesses are a lifetime lay ministry of of justice and love. Deaconesses today in the United Methodist Church continue to be um, consecrated. They are members of an annual conference and they are laity 
who have made a commitment and live in a covenant community uh, of deaconesses. The, the deaconess is the female version, the home missioner is the male version. With all this clarification, some of which might have been known to you, some of it might have been new, uh, we have a pretty clear picture of who deacons are, how they're different from other forms of ministry, and even how, from really early on in their discernment, they may feel set apart in their potential ministry. So now we're faced with the question, what do deacons do? With this question, we have to admit, you know, our field interviews from earlier were not completely fruitless. They're our bridge from the church to the world, which means sometimes they get appointed to churches, but not always. Usually they attach themselves to churches, and they also work in the marketplace. Right? So they're supposed to be our bridge. Um, well, they're both full members of the conference. Like, you can be a full deacon and a full elder, and they're both full members of the conference, so they both have full voting rights. This is true of elders, too, but deacons are more likely to be um, in ministry in other ways. Like, they'll be uh, an extension ministry, or they'll be appointed to a church, but that's not their primary appointment, and they'll also have, like, a, like work at a hospice or um, be a chaplain somewhere else. Like, deacons might be more toward nurturing and, and caring and whatever, and the elders are taking care of churches and administration and all of that stuff. Ooh, an elder is fully... Um has full rights within the conference and can an elder in full connection can do communion and baptism and conduct marriages uh, anywhere across the connection whereas a deacon uh, can only serve communion un- with the bishop's permission and um, cannot do in baptisms um, but cannot do so freely throughout the conference. Deacons are a bridge from the church to the community and elders have the order of sacrament a deacon uh, has a service of mission and um, service to the churches that they are appointed to, so they're working more uh, with a community focused, more uh, serving the people, uh, whereas a elder has responsible for the sacraments and uh, pastoral care and those kinds of needs. Informed by their call to justice and compassion, uh, deacons lead careers related to mission and service that bridge the gap between church and community. And it's their commission by the church, the recognition by the church of their call, that empowers them to do the work they feel God has called them to do. I was ordained in 2013. I was one of uh, Bishop Scholl's first ordinands, I guess. On behalf of the laity of the local congregation, who have examined and approved these candidates. On behalf of the Board of Ordained Ministry of this annual conference, which has recommended these persons, and this annual conference, which has approved them, we present these persons to be commissioned or ordained for the ministry of the church. Sharon, winner, Bernie Stone. Jonathan David Campbell Thomas Albert Lang I would say the actual ordination service was extremely powerful um, perhaps more so than I was expecting uh, just the 
the presence of the Spirit was overwhelming. I mean, you can watch it for years from the other side of the stage, you know, from the, the cheap seats, and you see how emotional people are. But it's a totally different thing to feel it, uh, to feel the hands placed on you, to hear the words spoken over you, and to feel the action of the Holy Spirit inside you. So, um, you know, there was a little bit of a, a low coming off that high after a little while. Um, and you realize you're back down off the mountaintop and you're in the valley with the people again. And uh, you've got to figure it out in the messy middle. And um, so I would say just going back to the same ministry context after that spiritual high was a little bit difficult, but it was also a little bit freeing to know that I now had the authorization of the church to do the ministry that I was called to do. Um, and nobody, uh, you know, sh- asked me whether they should call me reverend or not, or uh, any of those things. I was, I felt like the authority had been given to me uh, as a minister of the gospel, and I was able to claim that. And uh, so I think my own confidence level uh, in my ministry rose after ordination. So where has your ministry led you? What has prepared you for where you are today? Um, I spent uh, part of my ministry out in Colorado. And while I was there, I served as the minister for outreach for a large downtown congregation uh, in Colorado Springs. And there was a ministry there that had been begun among the homeless population that they called Rooms for Rubbish. And the idea was um, we would go out into the public parks uh, on Sundays, one or two Sundays a month, um, where a lot of the homeless uh, folks were camped. And uh, if they so chose, they could walk alongside us as we cleaned up the parks where they were living. And um, they would, in return, receive uh, a night stay at a hotel where they could get a shower and clean up and sleep in a bed. Uh, They would get a month's worth of bus passes, or they would get um, help Um, and the uh, financial assistance that they needed to regain their documents so that they could be eligible for other services. Um, And, you know, the real goal of that was to make sure that we were in relationship with the people most at the margins right outside of our doors. And we got into some great conversations um, just through walking with the same people uh, often uh, month after month after month. When it came time for me to leave Colorado, um, the folks in that group who I had formed friendships with um, surprised me. And, um, you know, after we gave out the bus passes and and whatnot, we always stayed around to celebrate communion. And as a deacon, I couldn't preside, but I could bring the elements from the communion service that we had had earlier in the day and extend the table there to the public park. And so we were celebrating communion sort of out of the trunk of a car in a public park. And it is the most holy communion that I've ever experienced, I have to say. But they, after communion, gathered around me in a group of about 40 people and laid hands on me to commission me on my way back to the East Coast when I was leaving Colorado. I could not stop sobbing the whole way home. I had to pull over to cry. I'm not one who cries easily. but that, for me, was where it all came um, together as a deacon in ministry. So, Pastor Kathleen, right now you serve at Medford United Methodist Church as the associate pastor. 
But I hear that you used to work for the conference, and also that you were serving in Arizona for a while before you came back to New Jersey. That sounds like a pretty crazy adventure. Uh, tell us, tell us your story. What happened? Well, that was just the journey continuing because I had been on the conference as a coordinator of children, youth, and young adult ministries, and Bishop Johnson had moved on, and Bishop uh, Suda came in. But my husband got this job offer in Arizona, and it was too good to pass up. So it's like, well, let's go see what kind of adventure we can have out there. So out there, Reverend David Felton and a friend of his put together the curriculum called uh, Living the Questions. And basically, he just said, whenever you want to do something, let me know. And then I did the youth ministry there for about a year, or year and a half while I was also becoming a life purpose coach. I did that for a while, started that business, and then my husband left the job that his job ended that we'd gone out there for. We decided to stay in Arizona, opened a portrait studio, which had nothing to do with ministry as far as I was concerned, (laughs) but it kind of veered me off in another direction. And I felt as I was being pulled out of ministry into this portrait studio, I really was feeling called so much back into the local church. And I never expected to be called back into the local church. That wasn't what I had ever thought my call would be. So I wrestled with my district superintendent over that, and I said, do you think I should go back to seminary? Should I finish? Uh, I had gotten an MTS degree instead of an MDiv, so I said, do you think I should go and take some more classes and become an elder? And she said, you really have to follow your heart my heart finally told me now I really didn't need to be an elder but Bishop Carcano who was the bishop in the Desert Southwest Conference said "Um, well I can appoint you to a local church but in order to do that you really need to move your membership from greater New Jersey to the Desert Southwest so at that point we kind of figured we were staying for a while so (laughs) so I moved my membership and got a job, um, a position as the associate pastor at the Prescott United Methodist Church, and loved it. It was great. But then we had this longing to come back to New Jersey. And it's funny that we're doing this interview on the weekend so close to the fifth anniversary of Hurricane Sandy because it was really Superstorm Sandy that broke my heart and said, my family's hurting and need to come back. Um, where we had been living in Brick, New Jersey, um, the ocean had kind of washed through Manilokine, and that was our stomping grounds. Um, We saw our beach get washed away, um, and watching it on TV was really hard, really hard. So anyway, so back to New Jersey, we wanted to come, and because I'm a deacon, I contacted... um, several district superintendents that I had worked with. And Varlina Wright called me up and she said, we've got a job for you if you want to come back. So that was at Medford. And um, Joe Monahan was just coming on board there as the senior pastor. He and I talked by phone. Total leap of faith going to Medford. I'd never been to the church. Didn't know what the parsonage looked like. We had Skyped as an interview with the um, staff parish committee. 
So the whole thing was a leap of faith, and we came, and um, we love it. It's working out really great. So what are deacons, you might have been asking when you started this podcast? Deacons are adventurous, risk-taking, question-askers, bridge-builders. When I asked Tom Lank uh, the question, you know, what is the difference between a deacon and an elder? He gave a very, very succinct answer as to what the deacon is, especially as we look to the future of the church. One of the ways that I like to think about it is in in parish ministry, an elder often is consumed by caring for the people who come. And as deacons, often we are able to care for the ones who have nowhere to go. And uh, I think that's a powerful place for the church to be. Um, I think about Phyllis Tickle uh, talking about every 500 years, the church uh, basically has to have a rummage sale to throw out a lot of the old traditions and start over new and figure it its own identity out again. And we're at that 500-year mark, again, after the Protestant Reformation, right? This is year 500. Um, we're in the midst of that rummage sale, figuring out who we're going to be in the next era. Uh, and I feel like deacons have a, a big voice in that. One of the things that's becoming clearer now than it was 20 years ago is how entrepreneurial deacons can be and often are. Um, Because we don't have guaranteed appointments, we are kind of forced to make our own way a lot of times. And because the nature of our call is to be out in the community, a lot of deacons are very creatively forging new ministries, new paths of ministry. And so in an era where we're talking about shrinking funds and aging buildings in the local church, um, deacons are kind of uniquely freed to be able to live into the future a little bit more and to maybe blaze some new paths for the rest of the church. To end today's podcast, I wanted to read a excerpt from Margaret Ann Crane's book, The United Methodist Deacon. It says this, I envision thousands of deacons spirit-led and yet accountable to the church, serving in creative and missional settings, both in and beyond the church as messengers of the gracious reign of God. Until the reign of God is completely fulfilled on earth, there is a role for deacons in leading the church towards its mission of transformation of the world. The number of deacons who could answer this call is unlimited, especially when many will find their employment in secular settings. These deacons find their hearts strangely warmed by the call of God and the opportunity to serve in ways that express compassion and that work toward justice. You know, after our conversation with Pastor Kathleen, we asked her, uh, Pastor Kathleen, what would the church without deacons be? And after a long pause, she responded, a church without deacons is a church abridged. And we find that so fascinating because deacons are called to be the bridge between the church and the world. I have a hunch that there are some of you out there who are discerning your call to ministry and maybe feel called to ministry, but don't feel led to serve in a local church, in the traditional church setting. Or perhaps you're listening as a local church pastor and wondering How do I expand my church's ministry beyond the walls? And you want to work with someone called specifically to a certain aspect of ministry. Well, we hope 
This episode has been informative, has piqued your curiosity for the order of deacons, and its potential impact for your life and ministry. Be sure to look out for part two as we continue the conversation from past and present into the future of the church and how that can be shaped by deacons. This podcast is produced by the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey at the Mission and Resource Center in Neptune, New Jersey. Your hosts were James Lee and Caitlin Deal. Special thanks to Tom Lank, Kathleen Stoles, and Daryl Stevens for their time. And also a special thank you to Paul Barnett, our podcast ministerial intern. If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. We'll talk to you soon.